Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 10 11, Thursday morning, 21st day of December 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. My last live show of 2023. Uh, we'll have one more best of 2023 that I'll play for you coming up at about 10.35 or so. But let's kick it off, talk some hockey. The World Juniors beginning Tuesday in Sweden. The U.S., well, they got a team, and they'll have the games on television, and I think they got a really good chance to medal. And joining us now, as he does every year, from NHL Network, we preview the World Juniors. Dave Starman, good morning. Hello, Bruce. What's going on? Uh, not much. How are you? Uh, you know, just the normal craziness around the holidays between regular work and TV work and uh, coaching my team and you know, just, <laughs> live, just living the dream. You know how it goes. I certainly do. Uh, Dave, is he gets himself very entrenched in the World Juniors as they approach, so much so that uh, Dave was not aware of the NCHC's announcement earlier this week that they are bringing their uh, conference tournament on campus starting in 2026. Uh, best of three quarterfinals the first weekend. Single game semifinals in weekend two. Single game championship on the third weekend. That's a final Saturday of the season, just like what the Big Ten does, Dave. Uh, just look at the CCHA does now with their their tournament as well. Uh, your thoughts on, on what appears to now be a pretty growing trend in college hockey of going away from the neutral site conference tournaments. Before we go any further, we still have eight teams, right? We haven't had anybody other than Arizona State. Yeah, Ar- yeah Arizona State starting next year, and nothing else has changed. <laughs> <laughs> just, just making sure. It's been that kind of month. Um, I think it's I, – I, I kind of like it. Let's put it this way. I love the XL Center. I think that gathering with the XL has been great, and uh, the XL Center has been awesome to us as a conference, and especially to us at CBS Sports Network. So uh, it's kind of bittersweet because it's a great weekend down there, but – I do think, and I have been a long-time proponent of this, I think college hockey belongs in college hockey buildings in front of their fan bases. So on that note, I think it's a really good thing. I want to talk about the World Juniors and give us plenty of time to do that, plenty of runway to do that here. But do you think there's any chance that this trend of of these conferences taking their tournaments to campus sites, that maybe it opens the door to at some point do that with the and at least open up these campus sites to bid on NCAA regionals? Absolutely, 100%. I think that this might be the first domino to fall. And, and I, again, I've been a long advocate of, of going back to campus sites for, for for the NCAA regionals. There's nothing worse than people channel surfing an NCAA regional and flipping around and seeing two teams playing in an empty building because neither one of those teams geographically make any sense being where they are. And obviously there's more markets in the East than there are in the West, but the markets in the West seem to do better attendance-wise at times. So I, I really think that playing these games on campus, and, I, and I've said it for years, that everybody, every Division One team needs to submit a hosting plan if they're a one seed, because the four one seeds should all be hosting. And if for some reason you're a team where your building just can't accommodate you being a one seed, your backup plan is the next building closest to you if there's not a team involved. I, I, it's probably a simpler-sounding explanation than would 
happen in real time. But there's not a doubt in my mind that we could figure this out and get these regionals back on campus. We're talking World Juniors as well here with Dave Starman of NHL Network. And the uh, the tournament starts on Tuesday. The U.S., as we speak here on Thursday, is playing an exhibition game against the host Swedes in Ingelholm, Sweden. And as I'm looking at this roster, Dave, I, I think back to last year, and I remember one of my primary concerns about last year's team was they didn't seem to have a lot of size on the blue line. And I hate to break it to people out there, I think it's going to be an issue again this year. What do you think of the blue line? Well, I'll tell you what, having a son that's an 18-year-old six-foot defenseman, I think the trend toward smaller D's is a great thing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but, yeah, hey, listen, you know, you got to see it through certain eyes, right? Yeah. But I, I'll tell you this. Let's, you know, I know we don't, we never want to talk about the University of Minnesota up in, in Duluth, but they're, you know, they've got a couple of big trees that they've sent to this team in terms of of Ryan Chesley and Sam Rizzo. So that gives you a six foot four in Rinzel and and a six foot one ish kid in, in Chesley, and I I think that helps. And Fortescue is six two coming out of Boston College, so they do have a couple of guys that that have some reach and and can make some plays in that respect, but. When it comes to and don't forget, Z. Williams not a small kid either. I mean, I, he's listed at six two. There's no way, but he's he's probably at least six foot. And but when you take a look at the smaller kids, you know whether it be Minishin or Hudson or, or Casey. Remember, they're playing on the big surface. I'm not quite so, or I'm not so sure that needing eight guys that are all six two is going to be that important. And these little guys like Hudson and Casey. I mean, these guys get around the rink pretty well. Uh, as can William. I like the defense score, to be honest with you. I think it's really going to move pucks, and I think it's going to be involved in a play. I think it's going to layer attacks, and on those Olympic-sized sheets, I don't necessarily think the big bruisers matter. I was talking to Tom Saratori in October, and boy, he lit up talking about Eric Polkamp, and, and he'd been there. He, he played all of two games for Bemidji at that point. What do you think of, of him and, and, and the potential he can bring to this team in this tournament? Well, first of all, any kid from Brainerd that makes the World Junior teams automatically is my favorite. So I'm I'm really rooting for this kid to, to have a great tournament. But I mean, I like the way he plays too. Like, here's a kid who can get up the ice pretty well. Here's a kid who knows how to take his ice, who, who knows how to defend his space. He's got a really good defensive stick. I love his his offensive instincts. Like, I there are plays he makes that are small, detailed little plays, and that big teams win. His habits are really good. He never skates himself into a bad situation. I think this kid's going to be a factor. Uh, Dave, up front, uh, Rutger McGordy out of Michigan is injured as he comes into this tournament. And I know he was named the captain. That would indicate to me that he's going to be cleared at some point to play in this tournament. And that would be a, a big boon for Team USA. Because up front, Dave, what I really like about this forward group is there's a lot of guys here that have played in this tournament before. No question, and having done, oh God, what am I up to, 16 now? Having done a few of these things, the one thing that you learn is, A, yes, it's a 19-year-old tournament, and B, if your 19-year-olds have some experience and understand what this tournament is, it really helps. I mean, obviously we know it could be seven games in 12 days. There's not really a lot of travel, but the fatigue factor and the pacing yourself factor, it, it's it's a little bit different than that sprint through the NCAA playoffs. So. I think having the guys who understand this tournament is a huge help. And there's a nice blend of size, speed, skill up front. And there's a lot of familiarity up front. So, I mean, you know, half of Boston College's team is on this team. So you've, you've got that component there, too. You've got the whole first line from the program over the last two years that's there, you know, with Leonard, Smith, and Perot. And, and more than likely, those guys will probably all find each other as the tournament goes on and stay together. But, you know, the, the one thing I do like about it is when you take a look at the forward groups, 
they're basically all from about the same place. And you'll be able to create pockets of chemistry that are already built in because of the fact that, A, this familiarity through the program, and, B, this familiarity through their NCAA teams. We're talking World Juniors. Dave Starman, NHL Network, our guest. We, we talk about familiarity, and, and I remember when, when Dominic Toninato and Alex Ayafalo got to UMD, and, Al, and Scott Sandlin was like, well, I'm not an idiot. I'm going to keep these guys together because they had a great run playing t- together in Fargo, and they played together for basically four years at UMD and nearly led UMD to a national championship. What does that familiarity mean as you look at this roster and you see guys that have played together before, whether it be on this stage or a different one? It's it's the old cliche of the longer you play together, you know when a guy's going to turn before he does, right? So you've got that part of it. And, you know, coaching at the junior level and having coached at the pro level, the one thing that we always look for is is, is that kind of chemistry and, and can we bring in a guy that's and bring in somebody else that he's played with? I mean, just to, to start with the fact that they understand each other's lingo. They know each other's voices. They know each other's tendencies. And when you get that the line with, with Leonard on it, I mean, those guys all have a defined role within that line that they all are bringing in together. And so you could just click the switch and hit go, and, and, and they're going. Coaches at this tournament that are really successful are the ones that don't reinvent the wheel as the process is going on. That's where I think David Carl is, is going to fit in this perfectly. I, he is not out to recreate the game. He really understands that concept of, of, of what you have coming in could be a huge factor as long as you don't screw around with it. And I think that that's where the familiarity concept and his vision on how to build a team really come together well. Where, If McGordy's able to play in this tournament, where do you see him slotting in? McGordy's a kid that can play a lot of different roles. Obviously, he can play special teams on either side of it. Obviously, he's a guy that can generate a lot of offense. And he's a guy that's defensively responsible. So here's a guy that can drive any line he plays on. He's got enough skill to play with skill. He's got enough grit to play with grit. And he's got enough hockey IQ to be able to play in situations where Team USA has got to shut a game down or at the very least settle a game down if they're getting overrun. Does he Is he a top-line center versus a fourth-line center? I mean, there's a part of it, but you, I want to see a couple of exhibition games to see where he sorts in with this group, but to me... You can move him anywhere in the lineup just because he's so diverse. Uh, we, You mentioned it earlier. We don't like talking about the Gophers up here, but sometimes we have no choice. Jimmy Snuggerud is a special, special player who does not need a lot of room, as we saw in October, to get a shot to the net. And Oliver Moore is a young man, Dave, that, that has a chance to be something really special. He's off to a good start in his first year with the Gophers. Your thoughts on those two and how they fit into this team? I haven't seen more, but I'll tell you what, I, I think Jimmy Stuggerud is a tremendous player, and he's one of those guys that can create time and space for his line. He's one of those players that, and I love these kinds of players, he's like a two-toucher. He gets a puck and he lets it go to the net. He doesn't screw around with it. He doesn't dust it a whole lot. He's he's not a player that is so over-enamored with his own skill level like he feels like he has to show it to you on a ship-by-ship basis. He's pretty content with taking the simple play, taking the game, with, uh, taking what the game gives to him. And, and that's why I really like him, and that's why I think he's going to be a huge success. He, he keeps moving up because his game will translate to the next level with his ability to get a puck, find a lane, and get it to the front of the net. So I think guys like him and Perot and Goche, like these are guys that are just going to be you know, the bombardiers. Whenever they get a puck on their stick, if they're not putting it in network, I would be surprised. 
Uh, Jimmy Snuggeroo, those will play in, in the October game in Duluth against uh, against the Gophers, where they want to face off in the UMD zone. And before I could say Gophers win the face off, Matthew Thiessen had the puck because Jimmy Snuggeroo shot and he was able to stop it with like 12 seconds left in a tie game. Uh, that, that's the that's the type of ability Jimmy Snuggeroo has. That that puck, yeah, it doesn't spend a lot of time on his stick. No, and and that's the that's the beauty of him. He's got that shot mentality, which I really like and. As you saw, I mean, pucks just explode off the guy's stick, but he's not just a shooter. Like, I remember Kiefer Bellows when Bellows was on this team. Like, Bellows, you basically knew that he was going to shoot the puck. I mean, that was his game, but it hadn't diversified at that point yet. I think Snugger has got a little bit more of a diverse portfolio and, and you know, more clubs in the in the golf bag, if you, if you want to use that analogy, than just being a pure shooter. But the fact that he is known for having that type of shot creates a lot more space for other guys because when pucks get to his stick, Trap tends to drive his way, which means somebody else somewhere along the line is going to have an open lane to the net if it comes his way. Boston College's Jacob Fowler, Michigan State's Trey Augustine, both available here in goal. What do you think of, of the goaltending tandem the U.S. has? Obviously, you're going to have to pick one of these guys at some point, but you've got time to figure out which one. You know, I got to see those guys play two games against each other uh, about a month and a half ago when I was up in Boston when Michigan State was at BC and and they're both really, really good. They're different goalies, but the one thing I like about them both is they both can handle the puck pretty well, and, and to me that helps in the big sheet because if teams going to want to try to dump pucks in wide or try to get pucks to dump in the corner, these guys are rangy enough where they can break up some of these shippings and, and aid their defense in getting out of the zone a little bit faster, not having a trap behind the net. So, I mean, I think that's one good thing about, about both of them. And to me, you add Hillebrand into this, and to me this three-headed monster – Reminds me of Ottinger, Wall, and Swayman when those three guys were the World Junior goalies. And it's funny, too, because, you know, Ottinger has had a great NHL career. Wall's establishing himself, and Swayman's been real good. But there are a lot of people who thought that even though Ottinger was the one, Swayman might have been the best goalie out of three going into the tournament. In this situation, yeah, you've got a wealth of, of talent and goal. I really like the way Augustine plays. He's got a very calm, composed, quiet demeanor in the net. Fowler is. He's a little bit more of an outgoing kid. He's got a great sense of humor. And to me, you know, he's a kid who loves to play an aggressive depth and challenge shooter. So, Augustine's a little bit more of a technician. Fowler has got a little bit more of a cowboy in his brain. But I will tell you what, they are coached on their university teams by two of the best goalie coaches in the country, Augustine and Michigan State with Jared DeMichael and Jacob Fowler at Boston College with Mike Ayers, who I think might be the best goalie coach in the country. Well, finished up with Dave Starman, NHL Network. Uh, we've got to ask Slovakia with Adam Guyon in goal, uh, UMD Bulldog next year, but one more year on the Slovakian national team, Dave. And, and they, they, I think, turned some heads last year with how they played in this tournament, and, and they've got a chance to do so again starting in goal. Well, talking about great goalie coaches, we'd we have to put Franklin in there too, by the way, and, and I can't wait to watch that combination with Guyane and, and Nicklin get their, get their mojo going and seeing that where that takes UMD as, as the years go along. And uh, This Guyane kid is something else, and, and this tournament has proven that if you get a hot goalie, you could be a B-plus team and become an A team really, really quickly. And you know, Both the Czechs and the Slovaks have had real good world juniors in the last couple of years, I mean, there's been some holes here and there, but for the most part, they've been a little bit of a nice, steady, dependable incline, especially the Czechs. And that's where these games could get interesting. The Slovaks tend to play the U.S. really well. If you look at the history of this thing and some of the U.S. losses in recent years, the Slovaks have a little bit of an imprint on a few of them. So 
U.S., I think, is going to pace their first two opponents. Then the Czechs become that all-important game because, to me, the winner of that game probably wins the pool. And then coming off of that game, you're going to get the slow lock. So I, I think the back half of the pool play is going to be really unique, and I could have a huge imprint on where the U.S. finishes in pool play. How do you uh, how do you rate the U.S.'s medal chances? I know Sweden's got a really good veteran team, and, and the Canadians are always a threat. All right, to me, the Swedes have done zilch in the medal round in recent years. I mean, like, they, they'll have the great first round, and, and all of a sudden they get into the medal round, and they get a little quieter. It's bizarre, but it just happens. The Finns will always scare you to death because there's no team in the tournament that plays harder. And there's probably no team in a tournament that knows how to play this tournament as well as they do. They may not win it all the time, but they understand when to lay it up and when to push the envelope. They're going to have a challenge on their side because they do have the Canadians and the Swedes. So it's interesting. The war of attrition is on the other side. Those teams will beat each other up a bit. Then they get on to the other side where the U.S. and the Czechs will be the heavy favorites to come out, and, and that's where it's kind of game on. But for me, the U.S. has to be careful. Because if you lose that game to the Czechs and you finish three and one, then to get to the met to get to the gold medal, you're gonna providing there's no upsets on the other side, you're gonna have to go through Canada, Sweden, and Finland. I don't think they've done that since 2010. But that's where that Czech game on 29th becomes the most important game of the tournament, bar none. Dave will have the call on NHL Network starting on Tuesday as the preliminary round begins. I've got my uh, my sling package all set to go. I, I'm ready for the month. I cannot wait for this tournament to begin. Enjoy the heck out of it, Dave, and I'll see you on the NCHC Trail starting next month. You got it, Bruce. Happy holidays. Travel safe. And give hugs to the family. Happy holidays, man. Appreciate it as always. Dave Starman, NHL Network. He'll have the call of the World Juniors on the NHL Network beginning on Tuesday. Cannot wait. 1029. More to come, including one more best of for me. In 2023, the Bruce Siski Show brought to you by Sanjo on KDAL. This is the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. We'll talk Minnesota basketball next. We are professionals. We are family and friends. We are volunteers. We are community partners. We are a team dedicated to helping you succeed. We help protect and serve America's businesses. When you need us, we're here to help. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Rated A-plus superior by AM Best Company. The Golden Gopher men's basketball team hosts Ball State tonight at 7 o'clock at Williams Arena. Minnesota coach Ben Johnson previews the visiting Cardinals. Ball State's a tough, hard-nosed team. Uh, I've known their coach, Michael Lewis, for a long time. We go all the way back to our playing days when he was a point guard at Indiana for, for Coach Knight. So you know he he's plays with an edge. Um, his teams play with an edge. They're like him. They take care of the ball. They can shoot it from four or five spots. Um, they've got good interior play. they got a really good uh, power forward who's probably be a high major caliber player and I think they're playing their better basketball these last couple games so it's definitely going to be a challenge for us it's going to be a physical big 10 type game which is what we want and, and we've got to rise to the competitive level much like last week with finals looming in this game you've got the holiday season looming and I know it's always kind of a hard one to uh, make sure guys are dialed in is the message kind of the same uh, for this one as it was last week heading into the academic part of it yeah for us I think more importantly we've had have momentum right now and you want to continue to build 
on the momentum that you have and this is the next game and it's the next challenge and so we don't want to have a drop off from the level that we've been playing and so it's it's that inner battle of you know, regardless of what the name says on the front of the jersey that it's about us and we got to approach it that way. That's Ben Johnson and that's the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Graham. KDAL at your fingertips. I'll tell you, these guys have a wonderful stream. Thing. Download the free KDAL mobile app. 1034, more to come, including my conversation from this summer with UMD Women's Hockey new assistant coach, Emma Sobiak. Our best of 2023 series continues, and we'll roll through all of next week as well. 1034, CBS News is next. Bruce Siski Show brought to you by Sanju on KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. That guy's driving me crazy. You know what's driving me crazy? You not getting the ball in the hole. This guy sucks. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 10.39. We are out tomorrow and Monday for the holiday weekend, and then we'll return on Tuesday. Tom Robick will be sitting in for myself and for Dave. Dave is on vacation again next week, and I will be heading to Milwaukee and the Quick Trip Holiday Face-Off. In Milwaukee, we'll be there a week from today as UMV takes on Northeastern at 4 o'clock. Coverage at 3.30 next Thursday uh, here on KDA. I'll make the drive down, and uh, Tom will have some best of programming for you next week, including you'll, uh, we'll re-air this Dave Starman interview ahead uh, of the World Junior starting on Tuesday. Uh, Scott Sandlin, UMV men's hockey coach, ahead of the second half of the season. Here his thoughts on the first half. Uh, that'll be on the show on Wednesday next week. More best of shows throughout the week. And then I'm back live in studio on Tuesday, January the 2nd, 2024. I guess it's see you next year. My goodness, it's weird to say it that way. Go for basketball tonight here on KDAL versus Ball State. Coverage at 630, tip off at 7. Over on AM 710, looks like no Jared Spurgeon again for the Wild. The fifth straight game, he'll sit out with a lower body injury. Wild take on Montreal, 7 o'clock. Coverage at 645 on AM 710. Best of 2023 series continues. My conversation from July, actually early August, with the newest member of the UMD coaching staff at that point, assistant coach Emma Sobiak. Talk about your journey in the sport first. And, and I know you played it for a long time. You played Division One hockey. Do you remember the first time you put the skates on? Oh, I started skating when I was about four. I do not remember, but my mom always tells me that I would be the last person I'd start on one side of the ice and like make the teacher come over and like hold my hand to bring me across the ice, and they just laugh. I played for so long, and they're like, we did not expect it after first watching you. When you as, as you remember playing the game of hockey, uh, was there a point where you – to me, there's two thoughts here. One, I'm pretty good at this because you were. And two, <laughs> I want to continue to play this as long as I possibly can. When did you have those moments of kind of realizing those things? I think it was definitely in high school or kind of throughout when I was younger. But to me, it was just I loved the game of hockey. Um, I played boys hockey all the way up through peewees, and I was always the one being like, hey, do we want to play pond hockey? And my dad knew that, so he put a rink in our backyard. And so I would be out there at 6 in the morning playing hockey, shooting pucks, and waking the whole neighborhood up pretty much. And so for me, it was just the love of the game. And that really, like, throughout my youth hockey, 
was what got me to be a good player, I thought. Did you uh, did you want to play with the boys, or did you have no choice but to play with the boys? Because there's there are some associations out there as as we were as even people your age are growing up didn't have girls hockey yet. Um, I could I had the choice to play either, but I grew up in like since mites and squirts, I was playing with the boys and I loved it. And I had one of my really good friends, Marissa Odell. Um, she played with me too, and Kelly Panic, who was a Olympian. It was us three on the Armstrong kind of organization and so we played and we had a great group of us three that loved it and so it was a perfect fit for us at the time and then I went right from boys to girls high school hockey so it was a good transition. We're talking to the U uh, women's hockey assistant coach at UMD Emma Sobiek so uh, high school hockey you go on to Bemidji State and and you know I know you got your coaching certificate in 2018 but you know at what point did you start to think about coaching? So I actually went to school for physical education and health education, and I wasn't able to finish those degrees because of my student teaching because I played overseas afterwards. And so throughout my time, I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and I thought it would be a perfect fit to be a teacher and a coach. And that's how I know a lot of people do that. And so that's why the coaching aspiration and the certificate came out. And then afterwards, when the opportunity came up at Bemidji, it was like I never wanted to hang up the skates. I was like, this is a perfect fit to transition into the coaching world. Um, and I love it. And so it was a, once I started it, it was like, I don't think I want to do anything else. So it's been great. Tell me about your experience playing Division One hockey up in Bemidji. Phenomenal experience. Um, we had a great four years when I was there as a player, and it was just the best thing. Um, I was able to play hockey, go to school, and I was the kind of player that loved practice, loved games, loved every second of it. And so I was just present there my four years and had a great career. There's this segment of, of college hockey fans in, in this area that for some reason they just don't like Bemidji. I've defended Bemidji to the death because I think Bemidji's better than St. Cloud. Best thing about living in Bemidji, because you've lived there a long time. I lost you there for a second, but I heard that you were defending Bemidji. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, 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 I feel like Bemidji is, is one of those towns that you've got to experience it to understand it. So I, I'll ask you, the best thing about living in Bemidji as somebody who lived there for a long time like you did? I would agree. I think that's what a lot of our even alumni would say is you have to kind of live it to get it. Um, but Bemidji, just being on the lake, the nature aspect is phenomenal up here. And so I think it's just a fun experience because campus, um, the rink, everything is right on Lake Bemidji. But I understand why the people in the area probably don't like Bemidji. When I was a player, we had some really good games <laughs> against Duluth. And so I think it was a little bit of a rivalry for a little bit. Um, so I, it was a good, healthy rivalry, which I always thought, too. So for me, uh, and I've, I've been doing this a really long time, so I, you know, John Glass Fieldhouse predates the Sanford Center, which is yeah. the, it's a great facility. The John Glass Fieldhouse was not a great facility. So where they set the visiting radio up, true story, they set the visiting radio up and there's a giant pole right to your left. So you can't see yep. the entire ice surface without leaning all over the place. And in my years, I started in 05. I, wow. we, and we were going up there pretty much every year for at least a home-and-home home series before Bemidji State got in yeah. the WCHA. And I saw the UMD men, I think, win one game in John Glass Fieldhouse in all the years that they played up there, all the years they went up there, one win in John Glass Fieldhouse. So I don't miss that place at all, but Sanford Center's great. Yes, Sanford Center is great, but I agree. I feel like John Glass had a lot of character, and it was just 
probably for visiting teams not as fun to plan, but for homes they probably loved it because it filled up. It was a good environment. Yeah, it was a great environment for college hockey, no question about that. You played professionally in Germany. Tell me about that because you know, we, we hear the stories about you know men's players getting over to Europe and having some experience. In fact, uh, Jack Connolly won the Hobie at UMD's had him on the radio show a couple of weeks ago. He's heading back over to, to play more uh, professional hockey in Sweden this year. But uh, women's hockey, we don't talk a lot about those experiences. Tell me about playing in Germany. Yeah, I absolutely loved my experience. It was one of it was the best two years, um, and I was able to play hockey and just play hockey. For me, like especially for on the men's side, they get to play juniors and just focus on hockey. And so that was kind of one of my aspirations that I wanted to do is play hockey, be able to focus on it. Um, and I had a great two years doing it, and I was able to travel a ton. I went to thirteen different countries when I was over there, so that was fun to kind of spark my travel bug. And I actually played against my first year over there, Nina Job Smith. Um, she was playing over there that first season that I was there, and so I got to meet her. Um, and so it's kind of a full circle moment coming back, and now I'll be able to coach her. Uh, what were the uh, what were the what atmospheres like that you played in? Because uh, oh, European fans, they've got a bit of a reputation. They get rather intense in the sports they go to watch. Insane! It is a really cool environment. Um, a lot of the arenas were really nice, similar to the. Um, venues that we have now here in the WCHA, and then there's some that are just not quite there. We played one in Burkhampton that had, like, behind the net. It, instead of glass, it was net, which was very interesting. Um, but when I was playing in Ingolstadt especially, there was a really good fan base that would come, and their chance, their cheer throughout the whole entire game, like, they don't stop. And so that was a really cool environment. And then when I played in Berlin, there was actually an NHL game there. So it was the Blackhawks versus the men's program. And so we were able to go to that, and they I don't think they ever stopped cheering the whole entire game, and that's pretty standard. And it's just a great environment to be in and participate in, too, when you're watching. A uh, voice you're hearing is Emma Sobiek. She is the new assistant coach for the UMD women's hockey team hired last week. Uh, again, new rule in the NCAA this year, allowing for three paid assistant coaches on Division One staffs. You come back over, you, you go to Bemidji once again, and, and you work there as an assistant coach. You got your feet wet in the coaching world now. What was that like? It was great. I was able to be there for three seasons, and I, I learned so much. I grew so much, and it's fun to see from year one to year three how much I've grown. Um, I just feel ready for a new adventure, too. So I'm excited about that, but I, I, it was a great start for me, and I, I loved every second of it. So it's been a great three years here. How did you get involved? I know you've worked with USA Hockey as well. How did that come about? Um, you kind of apply throughout the summer stuff um, and throughout the coaching world. A lot of coaches said this is a great opportunity to get involved in. Um, so I applied, and it's been a great learning thing. They do a lot of professional development throughout the week. Um, but it's been a fun thing. I've done the 16-17s now for two years. I've done the Minnesota Hockey 15s for probably seven-plus years. I started out in college as a team leader and then came into a coaching role. And I think that was a huge influence, too, that wanted me to get me into the coaching world. Um, but I love the little team stuff you get to do for a week and just help people in their development throughout the summertime. Uh, when you played, you played in 145 consecutive games. I I, I can't even imagine. If that's <laughs> it's there's there's luck involved though, right? Like like there's you're fortunate to be able to stay healthy, but at the same time you're taking care of your body, and, and it's not completely an accident, right? Yeah, I think a huge piece, our strength and conditioning um, staff was phenomenal at Bemidji State. And so I think that was a huge piece. They had a lot of focus on mobility and training kind of those accessory muscles. But I, it was funny. I'd go into the athletic training room and just, like, go in there just to say hi to our <laughs> athletic trainer because I was never in there. 
and I didn't have to, or I'd go in there for something that was so little that everybody else in there would look at me and be like, Emma, you don't need to be in here. And so I was very, very fortunate throughout my four years of college. I never was injured. Um, my first weekend, I think I split a game, and then after that I was able to run and just go. And it was awesome. I loved playing the game, and so I was very fortunate to be able to play every single weekend. And there's got to be no better feeling than, than allowing the athletic training staff to be a Maytag repairman for a, for a couple hours at least, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so you are here now uh, with the Bulldogs. What attracted you to, 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 to go for this job on the UMD staff once this third assistant gig opened up in July? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me was the staff there. Their staff is phenomenal, um, all with such great experience and places that they've been. Um, I am excited to learn from them, to grow from them, and I think a big thing, too, is just learning about a new program. Um, putting myself in an uncomfortable situation, and I think that's going to allow me to grow and develop as a coach. Um, and I'm just really excited. And I love the nature aspect of Duluth, too. Um, for me, hobby-wise, I love to um, camp. I have a rooftop tent on my Jeep, and so I'll do a bunch of road trips. So I'm excited to explore the North Shore and do all of that, too. And so the community, um, the food scene, the coffee scene in Duluth is really exciting, too, for me. So. I love the environment there, but then the biggest thing for me, too, is the staff. The program's phenomenal. Um, and just to go in and just grow and be somebody that can help um, elevate the program, too, um, I'm excited. As somebody who has worked on a Division One coaching staff and, and, and taken on that workload because it's not easy, what was your reaction when you found out that this that the third assistant was going to be a thing, that the, uh, that the NCAA is going to allow these schools to pay three assistant coaches uh, going forward? I just think it's an awesome thing. It's going to allow coaches to be able to coach even more um, and to provide more resources for student-athletes. And that's something that's needed, especially with the mental health stuff that is coming and it is very apparent, especially throughout the COVID. So I think just allowing more resources and being able to help and have more touch points with players is going to be really important. Uh, One of the players that you've coached up in Bemidji and worked with here recently is now a Bulldog as well, Reese Hunt transferring to UMD after four years in Bemidji. For the nice people listening that follow this program and and maybe don't know a whole lot about Bemidji and and Reese Hunt, what kind of player is UMD getting in Reese Hunt? Reese Hunt is a phenomenal player. She's so skilled. Um, She can do all the little things, whether that's shooting, stick handling, all of that. She has that. Um, her hockey IQ is phenomenal, too. She can set people up. She can make plays. Um, I think she's going to fit in extremely well with Duluth, which is her playmaking abilities, her ability to score. Um, and I think she's just going to be a really good fit with that program and their system. Um, but, yeah, great kid off the ice, too. She cares. She's thoughtful. She just gets it. She has a phenomenal hockey family, too. Um, so they're just great. And I think they're going to be a fun group to have in Amsoil Arena cheering her on as well. Uh, one more here for UMD assistant coach Emma Sobiak. So you mentioned that, that you're, you're looking forward to getting outdoors here in Duluth. Is this a place that you visited <laughs> as a kid at all, or, or was your first experience here as a player? That is a great question. I actually grew up coming to Duluth with my grandma and grandpa. That was our yearly tradition <laughs> as we'd come up and we'd stay at the Sweet Hotel. Um, there used to be the arcade kind of place down the street from the suites, and we'd always go there. We'd hang out, see the boats and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been actually coming to Duluth for like 10 plus years um, growing up. And then now we come over and just explore the North Shore a little bit more. So really excited to explore it. And it has a very special place in my heart, especially with my grandparents. So it's going to be a lot of fun. UMV Women's Assistant Emma Sobiak joined the staff back in the summer. 
10.53, wrap it up in a moment. Bruce Siski Show brought to you by Sanju on KDAL. Your Twin Ports home for UMD Bulldog football. For the touchdown for UMD. KDAL. All right, that'll do it for live shows in 2023. Off tomorrow to begin the holiday weekend. And off, of course, for Christmas on Monday. Best of shows with Tom next week, Tuesday through Friday, back live in studio on Tuesday, January the 2nd. Thank you all for supporting the radio show. Have a great Christmas, a wonderful New Year, and a great weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No, yes, no, well... No, I I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What'd you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. For more than 80 years, KDAL 103.9, W28FBFF, and 610 KDAL Duluth Superior, a Midwest communication station. KDAL.